Why are you here this morning? That question is not meant to question your motives, but rather to raise our expectations. God is in this space on this morning. And I believe that if we believe that God is present with us, then we can raise our expectations for a mighty move of God. Since Tuesday, my heart has been filled with expectation and anticipation of what God is going to do in our lives on this morning. And I have truly felt in my soul like the Holy Spirit has been saying that today is the day that our lives will be changed forever. Now, I don't know what that might mean or feel like to you, but because of who God is, what he has done, and what he has promised to do, I just feel in my heart a raising of expectation for a mighty move of God's spirit in this space on this morning. We're walking through Exodus. My brother Sean started us out unpacking chapters 1 and verse or chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And we'll continue. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Exodus chapter 2. We'll start reading from verse 11 and work our way through verse 25. And while we're walking through Exodus for the next 10 months, that's a good thing. That's right. Some may wonder, the Old Testament for 10 months would just strap in. Raise your expectations. God's about to blow the roof off. Because what we see in Exodus is a caring creator who finds his people in slavery. And he rescues them out of the land of bondage and walks with them and teaches them to be the people of God. Exodus is just a picture of our journey with Jesus. He rescued us from slavery to sin and he's walking with us, teaching us to be sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So I pray that we see ourselves in this story, but most importantly, that we see God in this story and that our hearts are captivated anew and that our lives are forever changed. I ask that you join me in a word of prayer before we go into the word of God together. Father, we are abundantly grateful that you are a God who sees, who knows, who responds, and that we can come before your throne of grace trusting that you will speak to us, that you will speak through us, and that you will captivate our hearts and minds, and that you'll change our lives forever. So, Lord God, in this hour, in these next few fleeting moments, would you do what only you can do? Transform our hearts and make them more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 25 read. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? 
Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Reuel, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. It's the word of the Lord. The word of God is good all by itself. I want to do a quick high-level overview of what Sean unpacked some last week in Exodus chapter 1 and the first half of chapter 2. The children of Israel, verse 7 tells us, were fruitful in Egypt and increased greatly. And there was another king that rose up that did not know Joseph and felt threatened by the children of Israel. And so he decided to put them in bondage and work them bitterly. And then they kept growing. And so the king of Egypt decided to kill all of the male babies. And he gave this command to his people to do just that, to cast them into the Nile. Moses was born during that time. But Moses' mother hid him for three months, and then when she could hide him no longer, she put him in a basket and put him in the very river that he was supposed to be cast in to die. And God in his sovereignty moved in that situation, and Moses was found by Pharaoh's very own daughter. And then she sent Moses back to be nursed by his mother, and after Moses grew a little older, he went into Pharaoh's daughter's home and was raised as a son in the very house of the man who ordered him to be killed. And then we see verse 11 and 12. Moses had grown up and he went out to his people, the Hebrews, and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And then the Bible tells that Moses looked around to make sure that there was nobody that could see what was getting ready to go down. And you wonder, well, what in the world was going through Moses' mind in that moment? Well, I love the word. It doesn't leave us to guess. Acts chapter 7, 
verse 23 through 25, tell us exactly what Moses was thinking and why he would take this next step, looking to help his brother out. Verse 23, Acts chapter 7, when he was 40 years old, he being Moses, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they did not understand. Moses was looking to rescue his people. And Moses saw his opportunity now at 40 years old, having been raised a prince in Egypt, to now be sent out to deliver his people. And he supposed that they would see this. I'm one of you, and I'm here to help. The scriptures let us know that that was not the response from the people. They did not get the memo that Moses was to be their deliverer. And so instead of receiving the help, when Moses went out to help break up a fight between two Hebrews, they questioned him. Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Back in my neighborhood, you're not my daddy. That's that's how I said it. But, you know, who made you a ruler over us? And now Moses is seeing, wait a minute, I was here to help. And the help has been rejected. I'm in trouble. Pharaoh's going to find out, and it's going to be a really bad day. So Moses flees from Pharaoh, and the Bible says he stayed in the land of Midian. So Moses was on the run from Pharaoh and his people. But Moses was wired a certain way. He was raised up believing that he was to be a deliverer. So wherever he was, he was going to help somebody out. And he sees some women coming to a well, and they're being bullied. And Moses says, hold on. It's my moment. And he goes and he helps him out. And he waters the flock. Such a servant's heart. And now Moses finds himself being welcomed in to the house of Reuel. And being given a daughter in marriage and raising a family. The scriptures say that Moses was content to dwell with the man. End of act one. Closed curtain. It was a great day. Moses died and lived a happy life. Goodbye. Right? We could end it right there. Moses was content. He was no longer under the rule of Pharaoh. He didn't have to deal with the rejection of the people of Israel. He was now a shepherd of his father-in-law's flock. And the scriptures tell us, though, that's not how the story ends. Verse 23 During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Now is the time. They're crying out for help. They're ready for a deliverer. The only problem is Moses is nowhere to be found. He's hiding in Midian. He's over 400 miles away from his people who are now looking for help. They're in a bad spot if they're waiting on Moses because help is not coming from Moses anytime soon. But their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. 
And here's where I'm about to just, Michael, got to ease into it. Because I feel it all in here. <laughs> and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God heard the cries of the people of Israel, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, also known as Israel. And we can look at Genesis chapter 15, verses 17 through 21, to see the covenant that God made with Abram, who later became called Abraham, who then passed this promise on to Isaac and then on to Jacob. The covenant that God remembered. Genesis 15, verses 17 through 21. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed through, passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord God made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, and the Canaanites, the Gershites, and the Jebusites. God saying, I'm giving all this land, the land of Canaan, to your offspring. And God hears the cries of his people, and he remembers this covenant. But the scriptures don't just tell us that God heard and remembered. Verse 25 says, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God saw the people of Israel in their affliction, bitter in soul because of their slavery. God saw what they were going through and God knew. What did God know? Well, in order to know what God knew, we'd have to look at the conversation that preceded the covenant that God made with Abram. Genesis chapter 15, verses 5 through 16. This conversation so that we could see what God knew. And he brought him outside and said, this is God speaking with Abram, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he, being Abram, said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. 
Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God knew exactly what he was going to do. This situation did not catch God by surprise. He knew that the children of Israel would be in bondage for over 400 years. But he also knew that he was going to deliver his people out of that bondage with a strong and mighty hand. And that they would leave with great possessions. And that they would come back to this land, the land of Canaan, which he promised to give them. Now, if we just stop here, someone might think that this Old Testament story is old news. Right? So why are we reading through Exodus? That was a promise that God made to Abram and the children of Israel. So the Old Testament is irrelevant. Well, I might be inclined to agree with someone that thinks that way. If the Old Testament story hinged on Moses. If Moses was the hero of this story, you're right. Close up Exodus, bury it, burn it, throw it away. It's irrelevant to us because Moses ain't coming back, y'all. That was me trying to get my Texas on. That's the last time I'm going to say y'all. I'm sorry. I'm mean, you guys, East Coast, I just, I love the Southern hospitality, but y'all, that's not even really a word. But he's not coming back. <clears throat> he's not coming back. But this story does not hinge on Moses. The hero of this story is God. The scriptures did not say Moses heard and returned. It said God heard, God remembered, God saw, and God knew. And if we understand the scriptures rightly, God is the same God in the Old Testament, New Testament, 21st century, and forevermore. He's still a God who hears, who remembers, who sees, and who knows. And so if we understand this rightly, then this story is not old news. It's good news that should give us great encouragement because we have a God who remembers what he says and is fully capable of doing just that. There's nothing and no one that could get in his way. If God determined that I'm about to break you loose, then I suggest you move out the way, everybody else, because we're coming through. God told Abram, you really got to stop and think about this. God tells Abram, he still does not have the seed that was promised. Isaac isn't even born yet. And he says that there's going to be a period of time where the people that come from your loins are going to be in bondage for 400 years. And Moses like, but I won't be here then. <laughs> God knows this is coming, but don't worry. Know for certain I will deliver them and bring them back here and give them this land. 
Now, if this is the same God that we're worshiping right now, oh, I feel like I, I got to run in me. I got to run. Y'all wouldn't even be ready for that, but I feel like I did to just move the aisle. This is the same God that we serve today. And I didn't make that up. The scriptures tell us this. God is still a God who hears the cries of his people. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have a Savior who left heaven and came to earth to rescue us. Moses wasn't ready to leave Midian. He was hiding out. Jesus was never hiding. He was ready to come. And he understands what we're going through because he put on this frail frame. And the Bible says that he can have compassion, understand what you're going through, and meet you at the point of your need so you can have confidence to come to God. To cry out for help because he's a God who hears and he's a God who knows what you're going through. But he doesn't just hear us. He remembers his covenant. He sees his people and he knows exactly what he's going to do. Revelation chapter 21 and 22. I'm going to pick a few pieces out, but you would do well to read both chapters. Verses 1 through 8, Revelations 21, the God who remembers and who sees. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne in full control said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha. And the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. 
But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. God sees. God sees exactly where we are and what we're doing. And God makes a guarantee for those who conquer, for those who trust and obey him. He says, I have a place, a place just for you, a place where there's no pain, no tears, no death. You'll be in my presence forever. He remembers his covenant. In Revelations 22, tells us that he's a God who knows. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. He knows what he's going to do. He's coming soon. See, this is the same God who hears, who remembers, who sees, and who knows. And if we understand his character, then we have a sure hope that's an anchor for our soul. I know it may not look good. I know it may not feel good. Actually, it looks downright bad, and I don't know how it's all going to come together. But because of who God is and what he's able to do, I'm calm. Because I know he's coming soon. And that's why the Old Testament is still relevant. Because when you get to see who God is and what he does, this is the God who parts seas, who blows and gnats come and frogs. I don't know, God, that's just, mm. but he does all that stuff, just talking it into existence. He removes his people. They're slaves, people. They've been slaves for 400 years, and they leave like conquering kings. Gold, silver, all this clothes. Where'd you get all that from? I just asked my neighbor. The neighbor that's had you in bondage for four generations? Yeah, I just said, hey, can I borrow some gold for the rest of my time? You just, just, yeah, and here, and take some more. This is our God. He's the same, the same God, and he's made a promise, and he plans on making good on that promise. If we know this, and if we believe this to be true, then people of God, we hold on to hope. We hold on to hope. The hope that we have in a Savior that would pass through the heavens to come and rescue us. 
The hope that we have in a God who would be willing to give his only begotten son to rescue us. We hold on to hope. We come out of hiding. Listen, Moses, I understand he went through some difficulties. He was rejected by his people. He'd been raised for the last 40 years to believe that, son, you are going to be the deliverer of the Hebrew people. And then when he steps out and thinks that this is the time, they say, no, it's not. And so now the Bible says Moses was content to dwell in Midian. But really what it's saying is that Moses was complacent to dwell in a place that he wasn't destined for. And that can be a lot of our stories today. Right? Content to dwell in a place that you weren't destined for. God did not intend for us to hide out and play it safe and hope that it all goes all right. No, this is the God who speaks things that be not as though they are. What am I thinking about today? I'm thinking of an earth. Like, oh, look at just, he just speaks things into existence. This is your God. This is my God. When we trust and believe, when we know who he is, we come out of hiding. We do not play it safe. We are risk takers, at least in the eyes of the world. What the scriptures tell us is that we are people who live by faith. But to the world, it seems silly. Why would you do that? Why would you do this? Why would you give up everything? That you had, you had such a, a hopeful and prosperous life. Why would you leave all of that to enter into vocational ministry? Because of who God is, what he has done, and what he has promised to do. I will renounce everything for the only one who is able to rescue, able to redeem. Listen, in your dark midnight hour. Like, I know we come in here and we look pretty and everybody is just so well put together. But you know what you look like when you're in the closet by yourself, snotting, eyes look swollen because you just lost the 10th round with Mike Tyson. The kids don't know who Mike Tyson is, you're right, and you don't need to know him. But you lost to a heavyweight fighter. You know what you look like. God hears. God hears you in that space. There's nowhere you can go that God cannot meet you at the point of your need. He hears our cries. If we know this, what do we do? Then we cry out. We cry out to a God who hears, who remembers, who sees, and who knows. And we run to the throne of grace. Find help in time of need. If you're hurting, like the children of Israel were, 400 years of slavery. Doesn't seem like it's going to go too well. You can be assured that God hears, he remembers, he sees, and he knows the plans that he has for you. He's made a promise. There's a place, no pain, no tears. This is not that place. But he's prepared that place, and he is coming to make sure that we see him in that place. And if we believe this to be true today, what do we do? How do we live? We live for the only one who's able to hear us 
and who's able to move in our situation. Listen, it weighs on me in all kinds of ways throughout the week because I really just want to make sure that we are living in this truth, that we do not make this a show. You did not come here today to check a box. Why are you here? Because you knew that there was going to be songs sung? Because you thought that somebody might say something? Why are you here? We come because we know that this is the space that God meets his people. I come here because I know that this is the space that I can come to find help. To be reminded to hold on to hope. To know that even though I have been hiding out in Midian for over 40 years, even though I may have been going through slavery for 400 years, I can still hold on to hope because I have a God who is unchanging. He hears, he remembers, he sees, and he knows. And I can trust him with my life. So I come here today because I need help. And there's only one person who's going to hear my cry. And so I did not come here today in hopes that I might see somebody or that I might hear my favorite song, I Need Jesus. And I know I'll find him here. So I run. I run into this space because I believe for some reason God in his infinite wisdom uses feeble people to speak a powerful word that will meet me at the point of my need. And I need that. I need that every day. Lord, I'm holding on to hope. And so I'm not coming here to check the box. I'm not coming here because this is tradition. I'm not coming here because this is my favorite this and that or whatever you may want to pose as. I'm coming here because God is real. And he still sits on the throne and he promises that he'll meet me. And he'll take care of me. And that he'll comfort me. Do you believe that today? Because if we do, then we grab a hold of hope. And we do not leave here pretending. We do not leave here acting. We have issues. Listen, it has been a really hard two years. It has. If you have been alive, I do not need to convince you of that. I remember not too long ago, I did a memorial service for a 45-minute-old child. I had to eulogize my godfather, the one male presence in my life, over Zoom. It's been hard. There's been much loss, much pain. And we can acknowledge that. But the scriptures tell us, do not be weary in well-doing. For you will reap. Not a possibility. You will reap if you do not faint. Don't give up. Hold on to hope because hope is holding on to you. It's a guarantee. God says, I am coming. Write these words down. They're trustworthy and true. You can cash this check. It was good before you even knew about it. Hold on. Hold on. I just, I wish you can hear it the way I hear it in my head. It's like a multitude of angels just crying out, hold on. 
And I know I could sound silly, but if you read your Bible, it can't be that silly. I mean, Elijah says, open up his eyes, Lord, so that he can see that those who are for us are greater than those who are against us. And then the Lord opens up the servant's eyes and just a multitude, an army of angels, fiery angels and chariots are surrounding them. Lord, open our eyes. Open our eyes so that we can see. Open our ears so that we can hear the thunderous chorus of angels crying out, hold on to hope. A sure hope that's an anchor for the soul. The winds and waves, they're coming. They're here. But because of the hope that I have in Jesus, I know that I will not be moved because he's coming. Firm foundation. And the only one who can move heaven and earth and hold on to me. This is not a game for me. And I don't believe that it's a game for you. So what do we do today, church? What do we do? Do we leave here again? Filled with stress, worry, and anxiety? Do we leave here feeling like it's hopeless and there's no point? Or do we hear the voice of God reminding us that he hears, he remembers, he sees, and he knows? Will you take comfort in that today? Will you come out of hiding? Stop being content to dwell in places that you weren't destined for? Will you keep crying out, believing that you know the creator of the universe, and he cares about you. If so, then it's a simple challenge and charge today. I want to invite the praise team back up. And I want us to sit with this for just a couple of minutes. Think of the place that you've been hiding. The place that you've been content to try to dwell that you know you weren't destined for trying to find it in the world, putting your hope in something or someone else. And God is saying, me and me alone. Consider the hurts. And yes, come, weary, wounded, and broken. But don't stop crying. And be willing today. I'm not saying you need to cry for someone to see your tears. But be willing to cry out. Be willing to cry out today. Not to put on the mask and to try to act like, but to cry out, God, I was so weary. I was ready to give up, but I hear your voice. I will not faint. I will not quit. I'll hold on to you. So for a few minutes, just you and Jesus, think about those spaces those things that have been weighing you down and may you personally cry out to a God who hears who remembers who sees and who knows exactly what he's going to do for you and then I'll pray for us in just a moment